You're listening to Bunker Labs Presents, a crash course in small business finance, a limited edition podcast series featuring subject matter experts from the Bunker community to discuss what you need to know about finance in order to set yourself up for success from day one. This series is brought to you by our partners at Intuit, the global technology platform that helps business owners of all shapes and sizes to achieve financial confidence. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, host of the Transition Podcast and voice of the bunker. One of the primary reasons small businesses fail, in addition to not having a market need, is poor cash management. Cash is king, and if you want to purchase inventory, hire staff, and make sure you can stay in the fight indefinitely until you find the elusive product market fit and beyond, you must be able to keep healthy cash in your business at all times. Which is why, for episode four of our five-part series, I sat down with Marine Corps veteran and accounting expert, Taylor White, co-founder and CEO of Countable, a company which provides financial management support to startups and small businesses. Day in and day out, Taylor advises his clients on best practices for managing their cash flow. Although his sweet spot is venture-backable startups, Taylor also brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to more traditional small business owners. Together, we discuss why lack of cash flow kills businesses, the importance of utilizing tools such as a 12-week cash flow statement and making sure you can negotiate good payment terms for goods and services. You can learn more about Taylor and Countable at the link in the show notes. As always, we don't have all the answers this series, but we can point you in the right direction. So make sure you're tuned in and paying attention. Mr. Taylor White, it's an honor to have you a part of this series, my brother. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about cash flow. And as the uh, founder and CEO accountable, I know you see a lot of issues with cash flow. I try to tell people it's one of them things you you don't really learn in a classroom as much as they try to stress it. When you're living it, it's a whole different story. And you're like, oh, I don't have enough money to pay my expenses this month or I want to invest in this growth and there's no money in the bank account. And so I really want to talk with you about, you know, what you're seeing, lessons learned on cash flow, and how our our listeners today can get more strategic about deploying their capital. So I guess let's start by having you actually just kind of introduce yourself and talk about what you do with Countable, and then we'll dive into cash flow. Yeah. So I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head, right? My name is Taylor White. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Countable, and we are a financial operations and planning company which basically means we do the kind of full spectrum of bookkeeping, accounting, and then also the financial planning and analysis side of things. So we're mostly working with those venture-backed companies, right, who raised a bit. And so now they've got all this cash, right, and they got to deploy it. They got to spend it and they got to spend it efficiently, right, as efficiently as they can to grow something of value that is going to, you know, give those, those same people who put all that money back in, it's going to give them a return. Right. Ideally, you know, they say they want to they want to see a, a nine, 10 X return. So. So, yeah, that's that's, I guess, exactly kind of where we fit in. And, and so, yeah, I guess with with that. Right. This is. Like kind of where we live is like, what is the bank balance? Right. Is, you know, how much is coming in every single month and how much is going out every month? And and I guess I'll kind of pause there to not get too carried away, because honestly, that, that's that's like. That's the meat and potatoes that every company should be monitoring, whether it is a startup that's venture backed or it's a small business, you know, mom and pop style or, you know, lifestyle business, right? Just kind of sustaining. 
you know, how much cash you got in the bank, how much is coming in, how much is going out, you know. One of the things that I really take pride in myself is I'm a bootstrapper, just like you. And it's crazy when you look at your bank account and you realize you capitalized your own business. You know, no real outside capital, right? Just funded it through clients. And we have a lot of listeners that are going to be these bootstrap makers. They're making candles. They're doing their, what's some other products that people do? Maybe they're launching that food truck business. And they understand that they need healthy cash to build the business. Now, you and I are service-based businesses, so it's a little bit easier for us to capitalize our businesses as opposed to some of the makers. But when they do win those pitch competitions, you know, when they are hooking and jabbing and raise some funding, maybe from some friends and family, et cetera, now it's like, okay, we've got some money in the bank account. We're probably barely paying ourselves, because let's be honest, a lot of them don't. But how do they actually start to plan ahead for cash flow? I know one of the things people talk about is a 12-week cash flow statement where you just start to try to get some predictable revenue. Some, maybe I'm using the word long, but you can actually start to predict two to three months out how much money you're going to have in the bank account. Oh, yeah. So I guess in, in any company today, I would say that, that it's very much reasonable to say, right, unless you're, you're expecting some huge you know, anomaly to take place, right? There's this massive deal that's going to change everything. or Right. But like that 12, 12 to 13 weeks is, is, I think, what you'll typically hear about, right? A 13 week cash flow forecast where you should have a pretty good idea about what your bank balance is going to look like, you know, over, over that next period. So you mentioned one thing in the beginning there about, about sort of like ex- planning your expenses. So I think, right, like, especially for those service-based companies who, who have a heavy capital expenditure to put out, right? They got to buy the widget before they can sell it, or they got to pay to produce the widget before they can sell it. it. It still gets, it's still, it's still a simple math, right? We talked about in the beginning, the, the money in versus the money out, right? It's pretty simple to come in and figure out, you know, what, in, in order to get money in, right? Like you got to go buy the product. So what is the, what does it cost for the product? Right. Okay. so how many products you got to sell, right? In order to get past that break-even point, right? And, you know, break-even being where the money in is more than the money out. And, and so I feel like a lot of these companies get a little bit too carried away in, in maybe it's like the analysis paralysis piece, but like they get, they, they step outside of that. Like it's, you know, keeping it simple, right? How much money bring it in? How much money's going out, right? How much are you, are you producing right now? Because again, or I guess stepping back for a second, it, it is also very different whether it's that, you know, venture back startup who has the capital on hand to to go and, you know, try to scale something from the ones who don't, right? Who aren't there yet, who they may have won a couple pitch competitions, but in terms of traction, there's not a whole lot of it, right? They're they're still trying to figure out how to get traction. So I think I think you know, of course, in those scenarios where you're trying to figure out how to get traction, then, you know, it's, you're, you still very much have a somewhat of a side hustle, right? You're still trying to figure out how to, how to get people to buy into this idea. You know, you're still trying to figure out your idea for the most part. Right. And, and so, you know, yeah, yeah. I guess I'll, I'll kind of pause and step back there. Yeah. I think people need to play a conservative, right? So I think that's the thing too, of like, when you're first starting out, you know, Keep your overhead low. That's what kills them, right? Businesses fail primarily for two reasons in those first few years. Number one, there's no market need, i.e. nobody's buying what they're selling. 
And number two, they run out of cash. And for a lot of makers, there's a lot of vanity metrics out there. Oh, I need to open up this. I need my own space before I validate the business model. We need to buy all this inventory. We need to do all this. We need to do all that. And before you know it, you look up in your bank account and you have no money. And so part of it, I think, Taylor, sometimes is ego because it's real easy to look and see what other people have and think you need to be somewhere when you're not there yet. Keyword yet. And so you've got to kind of build in stride. And I'll even use myself as an example. When I started my company, Ironbound Media, it was just me editing all the audio, right? Because I want to validate the business model, right? I re recorded, I produced all the podcast. I did all that. And then I started to get more clients, started to get a little bit more cash in the bank account. Then I was able to bring on an audio engineer, right? I was able to bring on a graphic designer. And I was able to, and I even like to use the word scale because I think scale dilutes just basic bills, building businesses. Because I think when people think of scale, they're like, go big or go home. But just more of like a stair-step approach to building. And so, yeah, I want y'all to keep your overhead low. If you're a maker, right, you cannot afford to go crazy. And I know it's a super uncomfortable for people to get out there and go through their little pop-ups. And, you know, you just want to hire people to do everything for you. But you can't afford to do that right out the gate. You got to come out. What's the saying? Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. That's right. Yeah. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I guess all, all I can really do is, is reiterate that same thing. And that's, that's again, there's, there's two different perspectives, right? Uh, you know, we, we do work with mostly the venture backside. And so it's a little bit different perspective there. They will have a very predictable three week cash flow forecast at, at all times that we, we want to have. And, 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 you know, honestly, we try to keep all the stakeholders informed as to what that cash looks like um, and sort of how it's being deployed. Right. Just keep a faster feedback loop in general there. And that's something that a lot of small businesses today don't really have the luxury of. Right. Because, again, cash is tighter for them. You know, so they're typically this will probably get tied in later. They're typically, you know, they're hiring a bookkeeper, right? And they want to pay the lowest dollar for this simple task that, you know, if that, right? A lot right. of these folks don't even have that. But they, yeah, again, they want to pay the lowest dollar for the simple task, make sure it just gets done, you know, for tax purposes or whatever the case. But what they should be doing again is getting a tighter grip, like you said, on, on I mentioned break even earlier. Like what's the leanest break even you can reach to? That's that first step. You mentioned that the steps, right? Right. Or for me, I think of ceilings, right? You hit that ceiling and you're like, all right, how do I get past that? Right. In my company. Right. So again, what comes to mind, I guess, another example is, is I was talking to some guy one day and he was making little baits, like fishing baits in his garage. And he's like, people are buying them like crazy, you know? And it's like, he got a little side hustle. He's like making baits. And I'm like, how do you make them? You know, and he's like, I got these little, it's like a, you know, think of it as like an ice, like an ice tray. Like, you, you know, you put ice, water in an ice tray, put it in the freezer. And I'm like, well, how many of those you got? You know, and he's like, I got, you know, 20 and I can make, you know, with that a hundred baits in like a weekend. Right. And it's like, okay, well, so you got a, you got a production capacity, right? You can only produce so many, right? So like, I think it's also important for, for a lot of these smaller businesses to think about their business model, you know, a little bit further along and kind of try to predict where those ceilings are going to be as quickly as possible. Because what could happen is, right, they see all this demand, they want to grow, 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 grow. 
and all of a sudden they're at this capacity and they're burning cash to just to support that like that that position right and so maybe if they scaled back a bit and sort of sat in this little like vein they would produce cash and stay alive and then figure out i'll call it a big brain move right some like some like you know strategic or you know just tactical move you could take to like expand capacity or pivot into a, 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 a separate space right you know i mean so i think yeah to your point slowest moves move as fast i think about kind of the marine corps right we got the left and right lateral limits that's essentially what you're talking about is like how at what point do you actually just start to lose money you know because operationally like you're you're selling on you're selling a lot of product but you're like damn man i got no money really coming in because you're spending it just as much as it's coming in and that's something that people have to, to watch. And let's talk about that, right? The difference between like revenue and actual cash on hand. Yeah. So again, it's the, like products, companies that have products, that's the, the, the longest, the longest cycle, right? And so, you know, if you're, I don't care where the product's coming from, if it's coming from overseas, right? Or the raw materials, or if it, they're coming from, you know, down the road, Right. They got to come from down the road. They got to get all the way. So first of all, before they can even come from down the road, you got to go pay sometimes 100% right there. So you're forking out cash, right? And then it's, I think it's easier to use the overseas approach, right? Because it just makes it simple. So three months before you anticipate needing to, del- like to, to sell that product or have that product in your warehouse to be able to deliver, right? Or a warehouse somewhere, you got to pay for it. Right. Most of the time you got to pay it for it up front unless you can negotiate some kind of terms, maybe get 50 percent. Right. Where you got a 50 percent deposit. Right. So now you're out of that 50 percent. You're that's cash gone. OK, then it's got to take three months to get on a boat and get all the way over here. Right. And you may have sold that product to somebody already. Right. Maybe. Right. And I guess maybe you could have collected cash at some point or regardless of when you collected cash. You definitely had to already pay for it, right? Whereas, again, on the service side of things, right? Of course, there's our time, but that timing difference just doesn't exist. Where you got this six month lag of of like, you know, a lot of times you'll see by the time that product goes from that where from where you first purchased it to being delivered to somebody, which is when you can actually record the revenue. Right. Once it's been delivered or shipped, it's like a six month gap. So all of that cash, right, is in is in like flux at that time. Right. And so that's each for each uh, like your, your total sales. Right. For that whole period, that six month period is like technically in some like limbo flux period. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think, something that. I mean, it, it create it creates a challenge for those types of companies, right? And then you throw in like the supply chain issues that exist in today's environment, right? And it just makes things even that much more complicated for for these types of companies. And so, yeah, it's extremely important. You got we got a couple more notes here. We we're talking about like you know sort of best practices to deal with that kind of stuff. It's extremely important to have some sort some type of a twelve week cash flow forecast, right? Keep it simple. And then it's also extremely important to be able to negotiate terms with your suppliers, right? And you want to strengthen that relationship as much as you can, right? 
and, and be able to kind of work out those deals. And then I guess the third thing, right, is of course, if, if you can have a good, a good relationship with your banker, with a financial institution, maybe some alternative means like a factoring if, for, if necessary, right. To be able to, you know, cover that, that, that front, that fronting that you're going to have to do with cash before you sell the product. Even then you want to be careful because what you're doing, whenever you finance, right. That those purchases is you're banking on the sale of those products. So if you're not selling them fast enough, right. And you out, you could very easily outstrip yourself, right. And then be stuck with all this product that's again in flux with all this cash that's in flux. And then it's just going to come in and sit, sit in a warehouse. Right. And me- meanwhile, you know, the, the bank's calling, they want their money, right. Now you got the supplier calling saying they want their money. And so again, it becomes, it just, it just it becomes extremely important for, for companies, you know, definitely if you're stepping into e-commerce at all and, and you're full time, you need to have a grip on your finances. Happens all the time, right? You see a lot of small business owners with all this inventory, right? When we talked about overhead, inventory is huge overhead, especially if you're, you know, got it under your bed, right? You're just looking at that stuff. You're like, this stuff's got to get sold. And I'm going to tell on myself, right? I'm not a maker. My, my beautiful girlfriend, Simone, is. So I spend a lot of time with them. But I want to talk about a story I learned with cash flow. So I was a consultant, right? One of the first entrepreneurial gigs I got was being a consultant. Didn't even know what that was, right? Just was kind of making sausages I was going. And it came time for me to receive payment. And I was so used to getting paid, you know, I guess the first of every month, right? When you're working a job. Then all of a sudden I become a consultant. I got to send the invoices to the client in order to get paid. And then you find out like, hey, just because you send it doesn't mean they pay it right then and there. You got net 30, you got net 60. So you're doing all this work and you're like, man, I got, again, I have no money in a bank account. Thank God I got a business coach and he taught me how to invoice up front. And so it completely changed my business, being able to have that capital on hand. But a lot of small businesses can go bankrupt waiting on those terms, you know? So you really got to understand that. And especially, you know, when you start talking about those moves, money moves, Taylor, you start punching above your weight, you get that big distributor deal, or you do that strategic partnership and stuff, et cetera. But you got to make sure you can cover that gap between when the product is out and the payments in hand. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's, and there's so much technology again today to to make it easier, right? Even if it's you know QuickBooks Online and and you kind of you know have a little process every time you you onboard. If it's a consulting service, every time you onboard somebody, right? You have that kind of built in where you you're invoicing, right? And you're and again, if you're checking your financials, if you're familiar with these things, I, I know that we're going to talk about this later in the in the series. But if you're looking at your financial statements, right, and or even a dumbed down version of them in ways that you can digest and connect to, you'll see these things pop up r- really quickly, right? You know, if, again, if you're invoicing people, your accounts receivable aging, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't be letting that stuff go, you know, not 90 days and, and longer, right? You need, to, you need to get it fast. And, and you know, even, even better, honestly, I think, right, is like, like ACH, like get that payment done, right? Like use the credit card. Like who cares if there's a, is, is a little bit of a fee right now? You gotta. You need to get that cash in in hand, right, as quickly as possible. You shouldn't be, you know, you know, extending yourself. I don't think o- over thirty days. 
like not, not in today's environment, right? Like, yeah, even I think it was, I'll, I'll share this, this, we, we use HubSpot and I believe it was HubSpot. Our billing went, our, our credit card expired, right? That it was connected to. And after 15 days, like they were threatening to shut the account down. <laughs> they weren't playing around. And that's like, a, you know, yeah, big company, right? Like, you know, a very large company. And so, and you got these small businesses again that are like doing 60, 90 days, right? And it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And again, it's because they're not even, they're not even remotely connected to their finances. It's only once there's a cash, like a bank balance issue that they're, they're seeing where it's extremely clear to them that they're like, oh shit, you know, I, I better do something, right? Or something's wrong, you know, and then they dig a little deeper and now they start finding out all these issues and it's, it's too late. By then, you know, there, there's not a lot of options. I think that you're also talking about, and we're going to get into the credit. I'm going to pick your brain on that. But this is why it's so important when they say you need to separate your bank accounts, right? You need your personal bank account and you need your business bank account. And I know no, much, no matter how much we pound this, Taylor, you still talk to entrepreneurs and what happens? They don't do it. Because when you have your business bank account, you can get a credit card through the bank. Right. And you can make a lot of magic happen in 30 days. Right. So leveraging credit. Can we talk about how entrepreneurs can leverage it? Just like you said, for whether it's a credit card or or lines of credit with our local bank. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first thing I, I wanted to reiterate, like you just mentioned, is having that separation between your business and your personal you know, finances. If you don't have that separation, if you don't have a, a full fledged bank account that is separate to that entity then you don't have a business. Like it's all one and, and like, it's all up for grabs, right? So you just, you know, you're talking shit, right? Like you're saying you're in business, you ain't, you know, you're at risk is, is what you are. And so, uh, so I think it's, again, yeah, it's important to have that separation just for the sake of, you know, seriously going into business for yourself. And so having that business, right. And getting that business to operate on its own as its own separate entity right? Is, you know, just that important first step, right? And just like, I feel like I'm kind of taking a leap here into the credit domain, because I'm very much, you know, of the opinion that before you look at any sorts of external capital, you should be first looking at, you know, again, again, in my opinion, even in that venture back space, right? It's like, if I didn't have any capital, you know, to remove capital, remove extra capital going in, it's like, how do I how do I like add value, get paid for it? And the amount of money I get paid is more than it costs me to, to provide it. Right. That that's, that's the, that's what you're trying to get. That's what you're trying to get at. Right. At the end of the day, if, if, if there's no net positive there, then it's, it's, it's a loss. Right. So, so I think again, back to the stepping stones. Right. And so when you're growing your company, right? Assuming that you have that separate bank account, like you're operating, you figured out you can get to X capacity, right? And you have an idea about what it's going to take to get you to that next step to break through that capacity barrier. Then that's whenever you may want to look at like credit, right? Or, or, or just leveraging some external funding, which would allow you to sort of extend yourself a little bit, make a bet, right? With someone else's capital to, to surpass it. And again, you know, I'm just, I'm speaking on this 
because I think I think that that we're speaking here for like the majority of small business owners, right? Not this isn't the venture back startup community. This is like the majority of small business owners where like, you know, you you make it, you make a little bit a little moves, right? Like slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And so I think that's when you sort of look to look to the, you know, to the that external funding, whether it's a credit card, a line of credit, you know, a bank loan, right? Some debt, right? Definitely equity of any sorts, if you're going to get, you know, selling equity in your company to people, right? Regardless, you got to make sure that, that, that there's going to be a, an ROI from it. Like what, what's the point, right? What, what's the point in taking that money on? Don't just do it for the sake of it. Let's use an example. Okay. So I'm Mr. Coffee maker. Okay. I got my little coffee shop here in Newark coffee truck. We're hooking and jabbing. I started the business with about $10,000. Okay. And then all of a sudden, UFC comes to town and they say, Mike, we really love your coffee. All right. We want to buy a bunch of orders, yada, yada, et cetera. And it's almost like we want to pay you like $15,000. All right. In order to fulfill that order, I need to borrow me like a solid 5000 All right. But I already got it locked in, hook, line, and sinker, sign the account. That's an example where you start talking about leveraging credit because I know that I've got this account right? Account receivable. They're paying me $17,000. I don't have enough cash on hand to fulfill this order. So now I can go leverage this credit card. I can go open a line of credit. Ideally though, I've already prepped the battlefield beforehand, right? Because the best time to ask for capital is when you don't need it. So you've got to do a lot of work ahead of time, meeting with your local community bank. Maybe you're working with a local CDFI so they know about you and what you do. And so then when it comes time to pull that lever, you already have those relationships built. People already understand your business model. And then you also make sure your paperwork and stuff is done, right? So there's a lot of prep work that has to happen ahead of time. But again, that's just one of the many levers that you do have available to you should you need to get some outside capital. Right. And yeah, I'm, I, might, my, I might even be like, like stepping out like out from what we were expecting to to get into here, Mike. But uh, I I kind of wanna wanna ask, have you or do you know anyone that has leveraged, whether it's a CDFI or but like a traditional bank, for for debt or uh, or or like a line of credit, who didn't already have a significant amount of assets to back themselves? I do not. I do not because I didn't. Either. I don't know anyone that ever has, and so that's also why. Like I, I kind of defer to the, what I see and that's, you know, like, like, like me, right. It's like, I, I can tell you right now, even with, with a company that is profitable, right. You know, we're very much taking our time that I, I don't, I don't think that I can go to the bank and, and just get a, get a line. I, I don't, I don't think that they're going to extend it, especially not today in today's economic times. I think that most of us are forced to, you know, of course you can get a credit card, right? They'll, they'll throw you a credit card or something, you know, or, or like factoring, which is like, I mentioned factoring earlier, but that's like, you know, you can find people who basically work in certain industries. So maybe it's like that coffee, the coffee maker, right? Where like what they do is, or coffee's maybe a bad example. Say it's like, I don't know, slabs of granite. Right. And so like for every slab of granite that or every invoice that you are able to have sent out for like an order of granite, 
you would share that invoice with the factoring company and say like, hey, look, this customer has ordered this, we've delivered it, right? Or we're delivering it. And the factoring company will go ahead and pay you ahead of time. Yep. Right? Maybe it, and they're going to charge you a slight interest rate. So you, now you have the cash, right? On hand, they take their fee. And then whenever you get paid from the actual customer, that money goes back to the factoring company, right? And so that kind of stuff is available. You see, you see folks do things like that. And then I guess the, the other thing that, again, that I see is, is, is that venture backed sort of model, right? Where like, this is big idea that they're selling and, and they convince a lot of people who have money to buy into it, who, who want to, you know, those people are just looking to make money too. So, so yeah, I just, I kind of wanted to point that out because I'll be honest. And, and I, I keep seeing, right. Like people are talking about like, you know, it, it, access to capital is the biggest issue. Access to capital is the biggest issue, but like what, who are the small businesses that are accessing it? And like, what, what are the, what are their profiles yeah. financially? Like who are the people connected to those companies? You know, do they have $5 million in assets and the bank knows about it? Right. Cause they're, they're making people fill out personal financial statements. So anyway, not to go down a rabbit hole about that, but I think that that's, that's something people should be aware of is, is there's only so much help you're going to get in, in those, in, in that regard. It's just like a venture capitalist, the bank wants to make money too, right? They don't want to take too much risk on, on this like person who's just getting started, you know, in, in the entrepreneurial space or, you know what I mean? So. Absolutely. And Taylor and I are coming from a place of love, right? We've been in the bunker. We talk to entrepreneurs all the time. Taylor's an ambassador down in New Orleans, right? And all we're trying to get is we don't want some of these processes, right? Where you go try to apply for a loan or something to be a hindrance in you moving forward with your venture. Right. So we want you to leverage what you already have. And so as we start to close out this episode on thinking about cash flow, Taylor, you work with these venture backable startups. OK, what does a battle rhythm look like for someone in terms of managing cash? Right. So is this something we need to do on a daily basis? Are we checking it on Monday and then come Friday, just like in terms of blocking and tackling on a weekly and monthly basis? What should that look like for our listeners? Yeah. So I'd say it breaks down into the health, how healthy your business is. Right. And then how consistent your, I'd say mostly your expenses are. Right. And so companies who have lumpy expenses, for example, right. They're going to want to maybe check it more frequently, especially around those times where lumps occur. Right. And say, you know, say maybe like you get this, or you have this huge conference that you go to every year and it's like 30 K. Right. And, you know, you typically spend Seventy thousand dollars a month, right? That that's that's your spend per month, on, you know, on average. And then all of a sudden, one month it's like hundred k, right? Like you may want to just kind of pay attention a little bit more around those times. And, and when I say pay attention more, you know, I mean like more than you normally would. And what you normally would still should be at least, I'd say, I'd say monthly at a minimum, right? And and then factors that may want to, you know, also get you to look a little bit more frequently is again like about your total health of your company. In the startup world, right, they're, they're looking at runway. So your runway, right, is, is basically how much cash you have today divided by the average amount of money you, that you're burning, right? Super simple math, right? So in terms of burn, like you don't even need, you don't even need QuickBooks and, and, and yeah. anything else. Like you can feel it's it. Like, you can feel it because you're in it. You're like, you know. <laughs> well, it's like your bank balance was X, it was a hundred and now it's, it's 90. So like it went down 10. Right. So, 
you know, if each month you, you burn in 10, right? So simple math, you take your bank balance divided by the average burn and it tells you about how many months you have left in your company till you reach zero, right? And, and so that it's, that's to me, I think whenever that is going underneath 12 months for these startups, right? It's hard to take a company to market in like under two years. So you typically want to have two years of runway. What I am seeing a lot of times is most of these companies are raising four, they're raising a, a two year runway. Like they'll raise enough money to go, go for two years. And, and then you start wanting to hit a panic button. Like if you're under six months, right? So, and of course the goal, the goal with, at least from my perspective, you know, some venture capitalists might say otherwise, my perspective is you want to be trying to find that path to profitability as, as quickly as possible. Right. So you don't, so you can stand on your own feet and, and sort of write your own book and not be in the corner where, you know, now you got six months of runway and you're like, Hey, like I need cash like bad. And, and then they're like, well, like what the hell, you know, like it's just, it's not, not a good position of leverage to be in where you need it to survive. So. And I want to I want to yeah. I want to pick up something, right? So what Taylor just talked about is when these venture backable startups raise capital, they're extending their runway from like twelve months, two years, et cetera. For most of y'all listening, we're doing it the reverse, okay? So you're probably working your full time job, right? You got your side hustle going. If you only probably have like I don't even know, maybe a month's worth of cash in the business, but then you got to keep gradually extending it, gradually extending it, gradually. So you're doing it the opposite way. So when I talked about before of capitalizing my own business, right, I started Ironbound Media. I might have had like two, three months in the bank, right? You start working and working it, four months. Start working working it, five months. So then I personally extended my own runway without venture capital, and I did it through paying clients. And, you know, one of the things that you do need to understand, like Taylor talked about, are certain business models are more prone to receiving outside capital whether you're a venture-backable startup or maybe you're a construction firm or construction management firm, right? Those kind of businesses, professional services, right? You know, you can actually get capital for, for some of these stuff. But like you said, the banks, they don't really like to invest in CPG startups unless, right, you've already got some traction demonstrated. And like I said, you get that big account. So there's some nuances here. But again, this is a crash course. We're not trying to solve everything today. We just want to prime your mind and get you thinking um, in the right direction. And so as we close out here, Taylor, you've given us so much of your time today. We really appreciate you. How can people learn more about the work you're doing at Countable? Oh, I guess so. just, you know, check out our website, you know, DM me, hit me up, especially if you're in the bunker ecosystem, I'm always willing to connect and chat, help in any way I can. We are at capacity. So I guess I'll, I'll throw that out there, right? And, and we're a small business too. So, so we're figuring out how to, you know, break through that barrier ourselves. But, but again, if I can find the time, we'll align it, we'll chat, we'll chop it up. But yeah, our website's countable.io. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, shoot me a DM. We'll, we'll connect. Well, Taylor, it's been a pleasure having you on today. And for all our listeners, be sure to subscribe to this series on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening platform you're using today. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, please visit our website, www.bunkerlabs.org. Select the city nearest to you and sign up for the local newsletter. From there, attend one of our networking events. It's that simple. And as you come across other entrepreneurs needing this crash course in small business finance, 
please pass this series along. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. Here at The Bunker, we realize everyone doesn't have a strong financial background. So to help ease the burden of your entrepreneurial journey, we've partnered with Intuit, the global technology platform that helps business owners of all shapes and sizes to achieve financial confidence. To learn more about their suite of products serving small business owners like yourself, visit Intuit.com. Be sure to also visit BunkerLabs.org to learn more about all the amazing programs and support the Bunker community is providing veterans and military spouses.